we are delighted to welcome Barwon Health Foundation as sponsors of Room 64. If you would like to support palliative care services at Barwon Health, please contact the Barwon Health Foundation at barwonhealthfoundation.org.au. For uh, this episode of Room 64, we're um, joined by Ruth Morrison and Nick Morrison, who are clinical nurse consultants with the uh, acute consult team at Barwon Health. Welcome on board and thanks very much for joining us both uh, today. We appreciate it. So Ruth and Nick are going to give us a bit of an insight into their role as, um, as clinical nurse consultants and the role that they play in the palliative care space. So I'll hand over um, to Ruth first, perhaps, to just give us a bit of an insight into your role. Well, I guess our role within the um, acute consult team for Bowen Health is based over at Geelong Hospital. Um, I've been doing it for two years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in the community for about seven years. We work alongside the whole palliative care community. We work with the outlying palliative care services within Geelong, so Ballerine Community Health and also Colac, and we'll refer on to them as well and monitor their patients. Um, I'll let Nick speak a little bit more about it. Yeah, so as well as um, linking patients in with our community services, we also do a lot of um, um, patient assessing and monitoring of the um the inpatients within the hospital. So not all of them need to be referred on to the community setting. Um, yeah, so we get referrals from different teams within the hospital to come and help manage symptoms and um, sometimes end-of-life care and, and um, help with any questions or troubles they might have as managing home teams. So do you see that your role is across, like it's a, it's a role that sort of c covers working with the patient and their family, as well as working with the the doctors, I assume that's what, yeah, the yeah. doctors and the specialist teams. And how does, how do you sort of navigate between those two different types, I suppose? It, yeah, like it, we, we certainly work a lot with the patients and their families, obviously, because they're at the centre of, of everything that we do. But um, we're multidisciplined in the sense that we work with the doctors and the nurses and allied health, so physiotherapists, occupational therapists. There's planning and referral teams that help facilitate discharge because, not, you know, people might need to go to aged care or when people go home, what other services do they need at home? So um, we, you know, working with psychology and social work and it's it's the whole gamut of what a healthcare service should provide, um, we work in, yeah. 
So I guess um, the consult team is purely a consult team as well. So we don't officially have a bed card within the hospital. We um, So the treating teams, so whether it's oncology or whether it's respiratory or, or gastro, are actually the team that's managing, like, well, treating the patient. And we might come in and assist in any, any way, like Nick was saying, whether it's a referral, whether it's symptom management, whether it's helping with end-of-life care. So we do work with... Um, will often be giving advice to the medical teams and to the nurses, or sometimes we're just doing an early introduction to patients of palliative care and what palliative care is. So we might, in those instances, we probably, with the families a lot more, just sitting and talking to them and getting to know the patient, getting to know what they, what their past is, explaining what palliative care is and explaining that it's not just a focus on, on dying, but focus on prior to that and just giving them that confidence that, that palliative care is, is a, a holistic sort of approach to end of life. Do you sort of see your roles as being advocates for the patient or the family in a, in a way? Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely, um, once we get to know what the patient wants and, and I guess their rights, then um, we try to advocate for that and try to um, pass that on to their home teams, pass it on to the, the caring team um, and try to see what we can do to help them with whatever it is that they are wanting. For instance, I guess, if they, they are considering whether they really want to continue on with treatment, whether they want to go home for end-of-life care. So we are sort of part of that making, trying to make that happen to the best of our abilities. And highlighting all the options yeah. available. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because often people get caught in a cycle when you've been having treatment for, we'll use, we'll use cancer as an example, but you're having treatment for such a long time and the, you know, the, the rhetoric around cancer is fighting and people fight and the way to do that is by having treatment. So it's, you know, often seen whether it's, um, you know, your, the feelings that you're imposing on yourself or not, but to stop treatment is to, is to give up rather than just sort of acknowledging that the, that's the disease that's progressing and, you know, determining what's happening. It's not, with, not that you're not fighting hard enough or you're not, you know, trying anymore and that you're giving up. It's, yeah, so really highlighting the options that, that people have. And I think another part of it is um, recognising that some people have been, and, and once again, with, with even non-malignant, so respiratory um, diseases and things like that, but and, and cancer ones, is they've developed quite a good relationship with their treating team. And I think sometimes they feel like, at times they feel like they're in a sense abandoning them or they're going to be abandoned if they stop treatment or anything. Well, so they're I letting guess, people down. Yeah. yeah, and I guess it's, as palliative care we need to make people understand that even though they're stopping treatment, they're not stopping care. The care will continue. It's just a different avenue of care and giving them that reassurance that they will always have someone looking after them. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that whole... That we will always have someone looking after us was really important for us mm -hmm. and also options was really important for us as well. We didn't realise we had options and all of a sudden there was a whole vast array of options open to my mum. Is it also useful in your roles to educate and support the doctors and the, the specialist team? 
yeah, education is a huge part of, of what we do because, you know, acknowledging we can't see every single person in that hospital that's that's unwell or dying. People need to be empowered to be able to um, make palliative care everybody's business. So, yeah. And also as well as the nursing, we do educate. I mean, you're getting a lot of new interns and things like that coming through. So um, it is sort of offering them support and things like that and reassurance that they're doing the right things and 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 they'll often come to us and ask us um, about certain things and and so it's always just it might just be in, through conversation that you're educating someone as well so it may not be officially like in a in a um, proper education sort of program but just in that general conversation and and like Nick said sort of reassuring them that they can do it too it doesn't have to be always done by a palliative care team. I like that part of it, you know, that informal, if you like, education and through conversation and and podcasts, yes. uh, giving ourselves a bit of a wrap here. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think that informal education and, and networking of information around palliative care is really a, a valuable role that we can all play. And, you know, just what you were saying before, Nick, about it's everybody's business is absolutely it's so important and, and um, the more we all know about palliative care, that it's not just about um, dying, it's about that end of life and how we can um, celebrate it and provide options for people. And I think we're at an advantage in, in that we don't, like Ruth said, we don't have a bed cards, we don't have a ward at the hospital, so we're very mobile, we're like between lots of different wards so we're very visible as well so people are are quite comfortable in asking us questions or we've got an office there as well so you know just yesterday um one of the new interns popped in just to ask a question so yeah people people know our faces and we're not tucked away in a in a particular ward we're quite mobile and visible yeah. yeah, and I guess in saying that, the other part of our role too, I think that comes up every so often is is after someone has died or after there's been sort of a, a complex sort of um, patient care, we're always there for people to come and chat to after that too, to be able to sort of debrief or, or just talk about it and just sort of get concerns or things off their mind and off their chest. And I think um, we're not, we don't necessarily look at just before someone dies, we look at it carries on sometimes post someone dies as well. That would be a very satisfying part of your role, wouldn't it, to be able to enable people to finish the journey in their own way through conversations with you? Well, yeah, I guess it's therapeutic for all of us, really, because, you know, usually when that sort of thing happens, it's because someone's been on a ward for a long time or there's a reason that, that, that the team feel like they need to debrief and so usually we will have been quite involved up until the death anyway so it's, it's probably two-pronged really isn't it yeah you mentioned COVID before um, Nick and clearly it's affected everybody all of us in different in different ways can you give us a little bit of an insight into how that's impacted on uh, your role and the 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 um the patients and the families that you've worked with? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be um, new for anyone to hear that it's been really hard. And the most challenging thing um, 
would be the visiting restrictions. And, you know, we're so used to having the thought of having somebody die by themselves or be delivered like news of uh, their cancers progressed or that's to have that sort of news delivered by themselves without all their family around like that was inconceivable two and a half years ago and then it's just sort of become the norm Um, and even now like the visiting restrictions have lessened a bit but it's still just two people at a time there's not many people that just have two people in their family and people under 16 can't come in and you know for grandparents that's been really heartbreaking to not see their their grandchildren I can imagine it would be very hard on staff as well yeah like emotionally very hard on staff yep and no one wants to see people on their own no none of the staff they're all working so hard to try and make things um as best they can for their patients. That's their, that's their whole aim. And they know that patients want to be near their families and families want to be near their patients. So it's, 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 it's a really, really difficult situation the whole way around. And, and it is um, exhausting and emotionally draining for the staff as well. One of the themes that we're thinking about for this year is the theme of family. My sense is that um, family can look like a whole lot of things and take a whole lot of formats but what do you see what's your thoughts around that whole thing of of the importance of family in in the palliative care space oh that's center to everything isn't it like you know we 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 look at um as at a person not as a patient but it's at, as as the whole and like you say family takes on all different forms you know we've had patients where their family are, are their are their pets and that is and you know exotic pets too not not um fluffy little dogs that everybody's happy to meet I guess there is no sense of typical family anymore. And you went down the route of pets, which is a really interesting angle. Um, I was just thinking, what are some other examples of, you know, unique family structures or I guess just variability in what family looks like and how that plays into the support that you provide a family and the patient? So I guess, um, yeah, some people have, I mean, they may not have any family whatsoever. So you're looking more at friends and things like that. So family isn't just blood. It's it's a multitude of things. Um, it's You've also got people who live in um, residential age, age care and things like that. And, and that can be their family, that can be their home. And you've got to recognise that when, when they're saying they want to go home, that actually can mean the residential age care. Um, you've also got homeless people who we see as well who don't have any connections um, so it's trying to ad- identify how we can support them and who can be there as, as their carers and their their support and then then you're looking at the external factors and and who we can get in to do that with and um, I guess you've got other communities that are not as identified as well um, you've got the um, LGBTIQ plus um, and some of those especially the older generation are not recognised as well and they won't sort of bring forth what what who their loved ones are um, still out of that feeling of of shame and things like that so it's it's really I think identifying who someone's true family is 
is really getting to know that person and working out who it is that's there for them and and how they connect with that person because sometimes their actual family is not their true family. And that's being, you know, we talked about advocating earlier, like with the with the visitations, it, you know, people would say, you know, is it just family can come? And that's always the first question, well, what's family? Who, you know, what, what do you mean by family? So advocating that it doesn't necessarily need to be a blood relative that we're letting in the, in the doors. I think that's a great place for us to finish. The importance of family and diverse family whatever that looks like, and the role that you play as advocates on, uh, on behalf of, uh, of patients. I think it's, um, again, just, you know, added some more insight to what goes on in Barwon Health when it comes to palliative care. And we're so lucky in, in Barwon region to have access to what I think is, you know, world-class uh, services so thank you both very much thank you, uh, thank you. Nicole and, and Ruth it's been uh, it's been lovely to have have you both involved I appreciate it and uh, it's great to work with Jen again as usual so that's it from us if you have to go if you need to go if you want to this is